You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. When do you go to your pastor? When do you go to a mental health care professional? Both are what I would call caring professions. We, they, they care for us in, uh, in similar ways. Sometimes those ways may overlap. But when, do you, when is it best to go to your pastor? When is it best to go to uh, some, a, a professional in the field of mental health? We'll talk about that today. We have two professionals to help us address those questions and work through some scenarios where we can help decide when is it going to be best, when might it overlap as well. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. You can find them on our website, kfuo.org, in the sponsor section, Concordia University, Wisconsin. Joining us by phone today, the Reverend David Fleming is pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and a Collegium Fellow with Doxology. Good morning, Pastor Fleming. Good morning, Andy. Thanks so much for being our guest today and uh, helping us talk through this important issue. Tell us about your work as uh, as a pastor shepherding the people of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids and also about uh, your work with doxology. Certainly. I've been a pastor here at Our Savior Grand Rapids for 23 years. I'm the senior pastor. We have a pastor who serves as principal of our parish school and another dear pastor who is uh, a part-time kind of semi-retired pastor in our midst who has a lot more energy than I do. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's a typical uh, congregation. Um, we're about uh, 600 members. Um, and, you know, my work is uh, preaching and teaching and uh, visiting folks and uh, delivering our Lord's gifts. Uh, you know, I do a, a little bit of, of uh, well, a fair amount of pastoral care maybe a tiny bit of counseling, although I, I, I'm quick to recognize my limitations in that area um, and have, you know, have had lots of experiences over the years of different levels of need for people. Um, and then I'm on the, in doxology, I'm a member of the Collegium. I'm one of the fellows, which we get uh, advanced training in pastoral care and kind of some, they help guide us in doing research on areas of pastoral care, and I've, what a delightful organization Doxology is. I, uh, it's, it's designed to train pastors at competency in pastoral care and, and some self-care issues for pastors, too, um, and then also aiding congregations and knowing about the care and feeding of pastors, which we're a special breed of animal uh, who need special care and feeding, and um, and. I, I can report doxology <laughs> as, boy, it saved people's lives, their marriages, um, their pastors, and, and has enabled a number of us pastors to feel a lot more competent about the important work we have to do and to know our limitations when when we can't do it. Before becoming a, a, a parish pastor, as you were um, considering this vocation, maybe even during your formation, did you ever grasp how, how much time you would spend, how much energy you would invest in counsel and care for those you serve? You know, I think I actually kind of had a better grasp of that than I did maybe some other aspects of the pastoral office, because I had a wonderful pastor uh, while I was in uh, old high school, particularly in college, that, uh, boy, I was one of those annoying people that would visit the pastor a lot. Now, as on the pastor side, I don't find that annoying at all. But, uh, um, and he never 
made me feel like I was unwelcomed and gave me, you know, a wonderful listening ear and great ad- advice and counsel and help. So, you know, I, um, to, to me, it's one of the great privileges of being a pastor is being able to be in the front lines with people in the midst of, you know, the various challenges God's put in their life. And, oh, they're, you know, they, people you counsel with become, you know, quite dear to you in a way, right, that um, you, you're able to see the Lord's Word working to assist them in very challenging circumstances sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about your vocation as pastor and and providing that pastoral counsel to those you serve. Let's go to our second guest now, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. She is a deaconess and a licensed clinical social worker. Heidi, welcome back to Faith and Family. Hi. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you as our guest again. Uh, let's revisit your your process of uh, you know that that process of considering this vocation of deaconess, and then what led you to to also pursue this uh, this training and uh, this education and training to serve as a, a licensed clinical social worker as well. What led up to that uh, th- this pursuit of the deaconess vocation? Like when I was in deaconess studies, I got my deaconess as a bachelor's degree in my undergraduate at Concordia University, Chicago. Um, And I kind of knew then that um, I was drawn to the counseling profession, that I loved, uh, similar to what Pastor just said, sitting with someone um, in their joy and in their sorrow and all those different seasons of life and being able um, to just have that ministry of presence, but then also to be able to share some insight, both scripturally and then also, um, you know, just in the day-to-day things of life and processing emotions and things like that. I've always been intrigued by that. Um, And so then when my husband took his first call as a pastor at St. Louis Lutheran Church in Wauseon, Ohio, we were um, very clearly called by God to lead the youth. Um, And it was something slightly unexpected. And we just spent so much time with our youth and college students and the need for counseling and um, uh, a deeper um, understanding of mental health became so glaringly obvious to me um, that I told Dave, I think it's time. And he agreed. And so I searched different degrees, high and low, and the social work degree really spoke to me because it also has to do with community Um, and kind of what we call macro practice, where you try to fit all the pieces together, how systems work between the church and the community and the family and the individual. Um, And so I really like that vantage point. And so I started my MSW. Um, It took me five years because I have small children, and I actually gave birth to a child during my graduate degree. Um, And But it was far worth it, so worth it. Um, The education is really priceless. And then, you know, I moved forward through that and did my social work supervision. I worked for Grace Place Wellness, um, providing care for ministry wives and families. Um, And then I continued to also work individually with my youth. And I opened a private practice in Ohio. And so at any given point, I see three to five church work individuals or families, um, pro bono for um, counseling as an independent social worker. And then I also, um, you know, work online and do ministry through my website. I love my shepherd.com to reach ministry families and to help them have the tools they need to minister to others as well. And then I also currently work with the Office of National Missions, 
under church work wellness, trying to find ideas and resources that we can use synodically to, to better prepare our church workers and to build up the resources and the knowledge of the resources we currently have, like Doxology and Grace Place and Shepherd's Canyon um, and several others we have that are just amazing resources to have available. How would you say your your formation, your education and formation for deaconess was similar or different from that education and training as a social worker, a therapist? Sure. Well, the deaconess degree is really um, based on spiritual care. Um, so you're not under this guise where you're providing counseling services um, for mental health diagnoses or treatment. Um, you know, it is, again, like I said, that ministry of presence where you're there, you're able to sit with the individual, share the scriptures, and share insight into maybe um, uh, God's work um, throughout transitions and struggles and joys in our lifespan. Whereas then, like with social worker counseling, you know, I am uh, much more focused on uh, diagnosis and treatment. And, and that, I don't mean diagnosis as in labeling. Like that's one thing we're kind of trying to avoid. And with the therapy that I'm specialized in, um, EMDR, uh, which is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing, I'm able to kind of do a lot of work without having to have a diagnostic label. But we're kind of looking for symptoms and then how to treat symptoms so that life you know, the burden of life can be lifted a little bit. Like if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, what kind, how does that play out for you as an individual? And then what kind of treatment, um, whether it involves medication, it involves lifestyle changes, um, and uh, like processing of emotions and experiences from trauma, uh, you know, we're really looking at symptoms and treatment there, which is, you know, quite a bit different um, from from the spiritual care that we give as a deaconess. Now in my field, the thing that I love is those two things cross over all the time. You know, that's the best part of being able to have, be a deaconess with my counseling degree. Let's go back to, to Pastor Fleming. Your role, your vocation as pastor involves counsel to those you serve. When do you... You mentioned earlier that uh, you uh, there are times when you feel, I think, perhaps limited, or or you know the the, the uh, what your limitations are when it comes to counseling. How would you describe the counseling that you provide as a pastor? I would say that um, <clears throat> my my counseling is uh, soul care. It's it's uh, particularly aimed at the cure of souls, which is um, we're examining particularly the, the spiritual issues and struggles that the individual has, the, um, uh, the issues of unbelief, the idols that kind of creep into our thinking that that uh, need to be dealt with. I, which, honestly, when it when when someone comes in, I don't think they'd recognize that that's what's going on. Actually, what what they'd see is, you know, here's a pastor saying this is going to be confidential unless you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else, um, and and then just listening very very carefully, trying to be attentive to what's what the soul is presenting, what what's going on, and um, you know, observing uh, old body language and several other things to. It, to get a sense of what's going on with this individual. Um, 
and uh, often um, we're burdened by, uh, you know, guilt from things we've done wrong or thought wrong or um, which in which case we would kind of end up leading toward uh, private confession and absolution, which is so cleansing and freeing. You know, we when we hold on to our sin privately. It just destroys us and eats us alive. But when you just share it out loud with, with your pastor, there's such freedom there. Um, and then other times there's there's shame. There's, you know, sins that have been done against them by others, which is also a, a can be a, feel a lot like guilt and and there's mm-hmm. ways to help with that. Um, but often, you know, sometimes in, in this counseling, I'll discover there's, you know, there's some pretty severe depression or um, uh, th- things that I'm just not sure about what's going on. And um, so in those cases, then I would gladly refer to, I've got a, uh, an MSW that I, I love here in the Grand Rapids area. We've worked together for years, and she's really good at screening um, and then directing the individual to what other type of care might be necessary. Um, although I would say when, I think it's really important as a pastor, when, when I do that, I make it really clear, hey, I, I, um, I want to help you, um, but I, I recognize that I'm not fully equipped to help you with this particular thing. Um, I want to keep in touch with you as your pastor. I want to. I'm going to continue to pray, and and I, I want to keep in touch. And if you're willing, I'd be glad to take briefings from your your counselor. Um, uh, but I think it'd be a really good idea for you to get a screening to to analyze what's going on here, because there's some things, there's some hurts here that I that uh, the Lord would like to lift from you. I'm confident, and and uh, a good a good, uh, competent counselor can, can help with that. So what I'm hearing you say is that as a pastor, I'm equipped to, uh, to, to listen, to bring you the word of God, uh, to hear your confession and, and, and grant you absolution, forgiveness of sins, that good news of Jesus. There are things that are, are complex that I'm not equipped and prepared to, uh, it's to to really work through with you as your pastor, but I can make a referral, connect you with with someone who can, uh, a, a professional who can work through those. But I'm not just handing you off and and letting go entirely. I'm still here as your pastor to to provide that that spiritual pastoral care for you. I, yeah, and I think that's critical. I and I think you summarized what I said very nicely, and you said it better than I did. Um, that that. Uh, Yes, this continual ongoing relationship with this individual. I, uh, this, uh, I mean, we really, our goal is to help people. And um, sometimes when, when we pastors try to hold on to something, we're, we're not really helping them. Uh, we, we, just as uh, medical doctors recognize their limitations and refer to specialists, so, so we as pastors uh, are wise to do so as well. From... Heidi, from a therapist's perspective, what are when would you make a referral to a pastor? I mean, granted, you you have this a theological education. You're you're certainly there, as, you know, trained as a deaconess to provide uh, care for one as well. In the, from that that spiritual perspective, but when when would a, a therapist make a referral to a pastor and say this is this is really beyond the scope of what I, as a therapist, am equipped to do? Uh, uh-huh. you should seek the, this pastoral counsel. Sure. Um, it's one of my great joys to be able to connect people better 
to the faith that they identify. Um, in, when I worked at a secular agency, you know, there's all kinds of uh, rules and restrictions about uh, client-focused therapy as it should be. Um, but when someone identifies that they're a Christian, I'm very much able to say, you know, uh, have you been able to speak to your pastor? Have you um, been able to receive um, care from them? And uh, just like Pastor was saying, that confession and absolution can be so vital um, in that understanding when pastors are able to speak to people. And I've seen this kind of universally on that issue of shame versus guilt and the difference um, in our Christian walk. Wow, that can be really powerful. And then also to receive the sacraments, um, to be able to receive that physical presence of the body and blood of Christ, um, that can break through barriers in counseling that I, I never could, you know, with um, some different treatment options. And so I'm really thankful for that. Um, and then in my current private practice, um, I don't have quite the restrictions <laughs> that I have uh, when I work for a secular agency. Um, and so I'm able to say, you know, right away with my paperwork, like I'm a Christian counselor um, and, uh, you know, I would love to be able to work and communicate with your pastor so that you can be supported best. Um, and so I think that's really helpful information to encourage people. They do not know that those two parties can communicate um, and that, uh Oftentimes, counselors are really open um, to being able to have a conversation with the client also and the pastor to, to provide like a team of care um, that's much more uh, sufficient and able to offer what they need at that given time, especially, um, you know, counseling is a process. It, it, it's not going to be done in six visits. Um, and so we we need to work together on that to, to have those burdens lifted uh, over time, uh, both spiritually and, and mentally. They all work together. We know that we're whole system people, that we God knit us together. Uh, you know, we love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so um, that team, I think, helps us to bring all those things to the forefront better than just one person. Pastor Fleming, have you had a scenario like that where you've um, been able to work in a, a team setting where you've made a referral or someone's made a referral to you, and so you worked in 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 harmony with a a, a professional in mental health? Almost every time, actually, yeah, I it's it, it's one of the things I really encourage um, when when I refer I you know I I ask if I can contact the counselor and um and i can't think of a case where the oh i guess i can't think of one where they they would not let me but that's because uh, this individual was hiding sin that he didn't want to deal with but um uh yeah almost always we work together and um which is delightful. I love learning all the time. I don't know about you. Um, I, I love talking to counselors. They're fascinating people. They they uh, they know so much in areas that I, I have very little training or knowledge. And it, the more you can learn of how they work and what they do, like listening to Heidi here is delightful. Um, and um, I did go to Grace Place years ago um, and uh, loved working with uh, David there and learning from him uh, Oh, just so much wisdom in the air of caring for people. But yeah, I, um, it's normally a team thing 
in the way I, I prefer working. And um, that doesn't mean I'm talking to the counselor every time the individual meets okay. with the counselor, but we're, you know, keeping up on the kind of trends, what we're seeing. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, it's... The, and I've had the counselor send the person to me to say, you, you need you need absolution. Um, or the shame issue, um, I, mm-hmm. I've, it's so wonderful to me that our Lord, in his word, says not only does Jesus cleanse us from, un, uh, from sin with his blood, but he cleanses us from unrighteousness, which that Greek word was the word for abuse. Um, in, mm. in the Greek world. So, so his blood cleanses us from sins done against us, which, what a freeing thing mm. that is, that we don't have to continue to carry around, I'm the victim of, of something done by someone else, that the Lord's lifted that from me and he's borne it and taken it away. How has a clear understanding of your vocation and working in partnership with someone in, uh, you know, with a mental health professional, how has that helped you to to carry out your vocation faithfully? How has it helped you do your job well as a pastor? Well, I, it helps um, me recognize the limits of my ability. So I'm I'm actually helping you know this dear soul before me by getting them someone that can actually get us unstuck. So often you'll find in counseling you're kind of going around at the same spot again and again. And, um, and uh, professionals have, you know, a lot of tools in their toolkit that, that I don't have that can help move someone along. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's just good pastoral care. I've, somebody gave a rule of thumb. Um, I think it's a psychologist here in the Michigan District who, you know, said years ago, if, if you find that you're meeting with somebody more than three, or three times on the same issue, um, you, you ought to be ref- sending this person, this soul, to, to someone for a screening to see if there's something that uh, could be helped by another professional. And uh, I've used that rule of thumb, and it's, uh, I've seen it accomplish a great deal for, for people as they move forward. Heidi, how do we... How do we find the right kind of professional for our situation? You know, if I don't know where to begin, um, there are a variety of different types of professionals when it comes to, uh, you know, our mental health and, and, and uh, therapy. How do we find that the, uh, the, the one that we need um, in, in order to, to work through whatever it is that we're coping with or dealing with? Oh, sure. That, honestly, Andy, is like a million-dollar question. (laughs) I think I get asked it every week, at least. Um, It is so hard, and as Christians, uh, we are so wary, I think, because of, like, pop psychology and things that we see in print or on media that we, and this, like, even the tension between, like, church and state and things like that and the two-kingdom living, we can get very wary of, who we're going to go to because um, I think we confuse insight with advice, first of all. Um, we think that a counselor is going to tell us what to do. And if that's what your counselor is doing, they are not doing their job well. Um, I would not recommend someone who's going to tell you what to do. 
Although, um, but sometimes that's what we yeah. want. We just want someone to tell us right. what to do. <laughs> we want the answer. Yeah, right. And we want, um, and don't confuse like someone uh, prescribing medication with telling you what to do. No, like no professional I know that even prescribes medication, for instance, which seems like one of the most clear cut kind of things to do. Um, that's never telling you what to do. That's a suggested treatment. That's this, I believe, might be able to alleviate some of your symptoms. Like you are still making the decision about that. Like no counselor is going to tell you what to do if they're, um, you know, following their professional protocol. Like our job as uh, social workers, as licensed professional counselors, is to help you gain insight to your own uh, life, your own experiences, your own um, traumas and abuses so that you can move forward. Um, so it's very inductive, very inductive. And that's one reason that counseling is a process. You know, it takes time. Um, and I think that people get kind of rewarded by that, like we do, like you just said, we want it to be better right now. The discomfort is so uncomfortable. Um, and so one thing pastors, the, the beauty of like pastoral care is like that seat in the interim so that that burden is shared among the body of Christ while the work is being done. Like that is a huge gift to both the counselor and the person going through counseling um, because that weight is almost for many people, especially in instances of any kind of abuse, assault, violence, um, sexual sins, uh, either of themselves or placed on them. It's so much weight to bear, um, that unrighteousness, that shame that we were kind of talking about that, um, they, they really rightfully so don't want to sit in it for some time in counseling. Um, and so we can share that among in the body of Christ, like with our pastor, and it can kind of bear that burden alongside us. So to your original question, trying to find a good counselor is first. Um, you know, I always tell people to ask them, how will you help me live um, my faith and my belief in Jesus Christ congruently? So what's happening in life is that we're kind of walking along and we believe in Jesus. It's important to us. We confess the faith of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, but then things get wonky and we don't understand like, well, I made this decision and maybe it doesn't line up. And so now I'm kind of like suffering through the, uh, the guilt of that. Um, or will this happen to me? Um, again, like especially people who have uh, been through some kind of abuse, like this happened to me and that doesn't line up with who the Bible tells me God is, that God is good. And so they need someone to help them sort through those questions, um, both spiritually, and that's certainly pastoral care um, and spiritual care through a deaconess. Um, but often counselors, uh, they, they do help with those kind of things too, primarily because counselors should help you live your life um, the way that you like are seeking it. And I know that sounds extra like secular and that I'm like telling people whatever religion works for you, whatever truth. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but no counselor should come in whatever their religion is and share that with you. That should not be the focus of that counseling session. Um, it should be to help you live your belief and your faith more congruently with your life. 
Does that make sense? It does. And I want to dig in deeper to that when we come back, um, because I think it's not just religion, but I think that the issue here may be worldview. So Uh we'll we'll dig in deeper to that when we come back. You're listening to Faith and Family. We're talking about when to choose a pastor or a mental health professional when you're seeking counsel. We'll be right back with our guests here on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. A family that opens its heart and door to foster children is precious. Mohammed Bazik is taking fostering to new heights. He parents terminally ill children. Over the years, he's buried 10 of them, several who've died in his arms. The key, he says, is to love them like your own. Bazik also says, I know they are sick. I know they are going to die. I do my best as a human being and leave the rest to God. Bazik's current foster child is six years old, deaf, blind, and with paralyzed extremities. This child, rejected by her own parents, is the center of his world. His days are spent providing loving care and attending doctor appointments. Imagine if in America our society and laws reflected the respect for life that this man has. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. This is a test of the emergency alert system. This has been a test of the emergency alert system. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We are talking about uh, when you seek counsel. When do you seek counsel from your pastor? When do you seek counsel from a mental health professional? Our guest today, the Reverend David Fleming, pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Collegium Fellow with Doxology, and Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. She's a deaconess and licensed clinical social worker. Before we went to break, Heidi, we were talking about that uh, the, the relationship between a, a professional counselor, a therapist, and the, the client, and... Uh, you had mentioned, you know, that what is appropriate for a, a counselor, a therapist uh, to bring up in in counseling, particularly when it comes to religion, um, that uh, I, I believe you had mentioned that it's, you know, it's not appropriate for a counselor, for a therapist to impose their religious beliefs on the client, um, but rather to... Uh, to look at the, the the client's religious beliefs. And I think I would even say some counselors may not realize that their beliefs um, are religious beliefs. They're, they're, right. they're worldview, but they're, they're also really religious beliefs, even though they might not consider right. themselves religious. Would you agree? Right. Oh, I do. I think I primarily think of when this issue comes to bear in mind, especially since I work with so many women, uh, the issue of abortion. Like, we do not in our society understand that that is a deeply spiritual and um, re- religious, since we've used that language already, but that is a decision that is very much based um, in faith or and or the consequences are based in faith. And so, um, first, let me say, just because every time I talk about this topic, for any woman that's listening that has um, had an abortion, know that there is uh, life, salvation, forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Um, and please do not hear what we're talking about um, as judgment, but as um, an open invitation to um, seek counsel for that. You know, to seek, it's normal, very normal, although you will not see this on the news, um, to have uh, bouts of depression, to be suicidal, to have um, what we call like phantom baby syndrome, where you, you can still feel the child that you would have held. There's a lot of mental health consequences for abortion, and we do not talk about them. Um, but that is a worldview, like you just said. We come as a counselor. I wish we didn't have assumptions. We try to be as aware as humanly possible of our personal assumptions and worldviews, um, but that doesn't mean we always are. And so if a counselor is referring someone to consider abortion, that's a worldview. You know, that's not giving all the options. Um, so even when I worked at a pregnancy center, um, you know, our job was to provide every single option and the truth about every single option to a person to make their decision. Um, thankfully, it was a Christian pregnancy center, and so we were able to provide spiritual and scriptural insight into that decision also. But do you see how that kind of hot-button issue, which is very real for many women on a personal level in our day and time um, can be then very confused with what the counselor's opinion and viewpoint is. Um, and they do, they do not understand possibly that that is, yeah, that's a religious perspective. I'd like to talk a bit about stigma that's associated with uh, professional counseling. Pastor, have you found that 
sometimes we are we're very open to receiving counsel from pastor, maybe, maybe not. Maybe some are, are reluctant to receive counsel or, or to seek out counsel from their pastor. But were you to make a referral because it's something that's beyond your scope as a pastor, um, uh, perhaps a mental health issue, uh, that that sometimes we're reluctant to seek out or to follow through on that referral because we think there's a stigma associated with with professional counseling and mental health care. Sadly, I think that's true, I, and I've experienced it. Uh, I, and the reason I say sadly, I mean it's a reality. Uh, um, it, I, look, we we don't think it, there's a stigma to go into your doctor for diabetes, or <laughs> um, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's just look. This is just who we are, and and look, we're we're sinful, broken souls, and so we're gonna need help in lots of different areas. I I just had my you know regular annual physical. I, I didn't have any shame about going <laughs> for that, um, and I, to, to get a screening from a, a you know a, a wise mental health professional that you know shares our values and so forth. It, I, you know, uh, so what what I try to do um, to help alleviate those kind of stigma issues is is talk this way, talk about you know our brokenness and and um, uh, that. Uh, you know, here's somebody here who's here to help and make the analogies to medical help and and so forth. Um, I happily, I I think overall in the church, it sure seems like the stigma has uh, lessened considerably. And and I think in the congregation I serve, perhaps because I've been here a long time, and there's been some kind of high-profile cases that have come along. Um, I I think that stigma really has reduced and I, I've been delightfully surprised by that and the, um, the the willingness to embrace somebody that's going through these kind of challenges and uh, uh, the willingness of people to, to get help mm-hmm. Heidi what are, what are your thoughts on uh, stigma associated say, with care I, yeah I love especially what you're saying is talking about brokenness like that's biblical language yeah. for this uh, we're, we're all broken and we're all living in a broken world and so i think that that is really helpful and as well as talking about mental health care as physical health care like we're talking about your brain we're talking about hormones we're talking about your endocrine system you know just as much as we are talking about like vague emotions you know this is like very concrete science so often god created us to heal and so um when i talk to someone i kind of talk about like do you believe that god can heal your broken leg well, God also created the rest of you to be able to heal. Um, and so I think that's really helpful. The two things I would say is, number one, to church professionals, especially pastors, my, like, best advice is please go see a counselor yourself, like, regularly. Like, that will convince your people that this is normal. And I don't, I don't mean to, like, put pastors on a pedestal or anything, but to some degree there is some modeling in that. And it is so valuable, not only for their own lives and their own families and the kind of burden they bear in, in um, sitting with other people's uh, sorrows and joy, but it is so valuable for people to just normalize it. Like, this is what we do. We see counselors for wellness, 
not just deficiency. You know, this it keeps us well. Um, and so I think that's really helpful. Um, please, pastors, like see a counselor, see a couple's counselor, see someone. And then you have an experience with this to share, too. Um, and it does normalize it for people so much. Um, and then my second thing would be that you can get to know the counselors in your area. Um, you know, the original question was about referral, like how, how do you refer and how do you find a good um, healthcare professional? Well, as an individual, you can just call up counselors and ask them questions. Um, you know, you can ask them any questions. They don't have to answer, but like then you maybe you don't want to see them um, before you, you know, sit down and pay a copay and do all that stuff. Um, but then you also, as pastors, I would recommend getting to know the counselors in your area. I wish I could create this, like, master list nationally of, like, <laughs> LCMS counselors to send everyone to. You know, that would be fantastic. But that would be changing all the time. And honestly, I'm not sure that's always our best bet. You know, we have communities and we have resources. Um, and being uh, active members of those are is really valuable. Um, and so I would say... Pastors, call up counselors, ask them questions yourselves, go to like a, a lot of times the community will have kind of a networking event for mental health. You can attend a NAMI uh, mental health first aid class and get to know the counselors in your area. And by the way, that class is fantastic. They do a really good job of giving pastors insight into different mental health care um, needs and stuff to be able to identify. But then also even more, um, Call a counselor and ask them if they want to go to lunch. I know it sounds really ridiculous, but who's going to say no to free lunch <laughs> and have a conversation with them? You know, like um, I just listened to a TED talk that was about um, talking to the others. And what if we just had lunch with people that we may not even agree with? Um, and so if you have lunch with someone, you have a pretty good feel on their character and on whether you want to be able to refer this person to this person for mental health care. And I, almost all the counselor friends I can think of would be like, yes, I have to go to lunch with this pastor. He's invested in mental health care. Um, and then it's a reciprocal you know, community relationship. And then you know, you know if you should refer your people to that person. And I just say that's just great advice. And I, I, I completely concur on both points. Um, you know, counselors have been incredibly helpful to me, and they're, um, and then getting to interview these counselors is fascinating. You can you figure them out really quickly and, um, and discover their, uh, whether they'd be a wise person to refer to or not. And, yeah, great advice. I would gather in those conversations, whether it be over lunch or a, you know, an informal appointment, where you could learn a lot about their worldview in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. And whether or not it's going to be compatible with uh, with what we believe, teach, and confess, and whether or not you would want to make a referral to that professional. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You have to remember that our members are, I mean, healthcare is expensive, mm -hmm. very expensive. And the process of finding the right medication takes on average, about 18 months, I would say. And so there's a lot of time and money invested in healthcare, and that's very intimidating for people. So if you have been able to kind of strip off some of the options right away, like what a gift um, as a pastor to give them that you do have some good resources you know they can turn to. I would, I would do the same with psychiatrists, actually, um, although that's a little harder because they are in such high demand. They just they don't have time, but get to know 
those resources in your area um, because you'll know, like, is the psychiatrist spending what, how much time on them should they spend with their patients? Are they going to hand out medication after talking to them for 15 minutes? Or are they going to get to know their symptoms, you know, on a very deep level uh, with at least an hour-long appointment? Um, those kind of questions and insights are so valuable for people to know right off the bat when you refer Earlier, someone, I, I, well, I think both of us have talking about broken, uh, both of you are talking about brokenness. And I want to go back to that issue of brokenness, particularly when it comes to men. Uh, brokenness implies vulnerability. And uh, do you think, I'd like to hear from both of you on this. We'll start with Pastor. Do you think there's a difference when counseling men versus women and approaching this topic of brokenness and whether or not men are are less likely? Uh, I, I certainly don't want to speak for all men, but do you think men are less likely to to admit brokenness and and, and to to be vulnerable? I'm waiting for Heidi's answer. I'm really, um, I, you know, my experience actually is because I am around a lot of pastors and, um, and have served as a chaplain for a lot of doxology events. So I end up talking to a lot of pastors just as a pastor to pastors and they are actually really willing to talk about brokenness and, and to be vulnerable for the most part. Um, I, and, um, in the congregation here, I, you know, I, I suppose that um, if if I just looked at it statistically, I guess there's more women that would sort of admit this. But the the men kind of get right to the point on this usually uh, with me. They um, and I don't know. I that's a I don't know. So I'm, I'm interested mm-hmm. to hear what Heidi's experience is. <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate that insight, and I think that's one thing I love about doxology, um, what I've seen, which we haven't been blessed to go on one yet, um, but, like, I think it kind of rips that Band-Aid off of, like, let's just be real, Um, and I, again, I haven't been there, so I don't know the process, but I continuously hear from people, wow, I was able to share, and we're talking about a room full of men here, um, my burden, you know, I was really able to share my struggle, and so there's something in uh, that uh, we're all we're all there. We're all doing it. I think that makes it really helpful. Um, but one thing I would say is, uh, I one of my core beliefs I think in life is that we're all so individual that it's really hard to identify uh, this as a man woman thing. Um, I think it has to do a lot with the way we grew up, our family values, the things that we think are okay to share. I mean, that comes from a lifetime of beliefs built in us, what is okay to share and what's not. Um, And so I think one way I think for men that I have noticed both in counseling and in the congregation to um, deal with this kind of struggle of vulnerability is to identify biblical characters, and by characters I mean real people, um, like David and like Gideon and Paul, um, and talk about their their very manliness, um, but their also very real ability to be vulnerable in the scriptures, um, and you know preach and teach to that. And I think that helps people to identify um, that those two things exist together. We're not like 
more feminine because we're more vulnerable and we're not more masculine because we're not, you know, I think that's a, that's a biblical truth, um, that those two things very much exist together. Look at Christ himself, you know, um, Philippians two tells us like he, um, humbled himself, um, taking on the form of a man, like there is vulnerability right there. Savior come to the world. Um, and he places, um, you know, our brokenness on himself on the cross and, uh, bears that for us. And then there's a song by Ellie Holcomb that's, um, called broken things, beautiful. That may not be the right title, but it's like broken, beautiful. And one thing she says, he took our shame and walked out of the grave. And I think that's really powerful language. Um, and the reality is Christ on earth kind of tears away layers of vulnerability. As a Christian church, we are able to be vulnerable. That's what the body of Christ was created for. And so if you see in your congregational setting or in your family, the inability to be vulnerable, then, you know, it's time to do some biblical teaching on, on what the body of Christ is about and, and the vulnerability that Christ offers us in relationship with him. That vulnerability and bearing one another's burdens. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like, uh, I think when I was growing up in the church, you, you just don't have a concept of the struggles people are going through. You know, you think the church is like, oh, you just go on Sunday morning or whatever. And I think sometimes we never outgrow that. But when we're actively involved in Bible study or when we grow in our Christian faith and experience the body of Christ, as a place to share our burdens, to uh, share that hidden shame and guilt, it, it is, it's life transforming and you can't get enough of it. Like you need more body of Christ, you know, and I think that's the way God intended it. Um, and so we learn from each other then how to be, how to be vulnerable and how to um, also be there for one another. But it, you know, it's a growth process. You know, I think that's, that's quite insightful. I, in, in doing some research on children from divorced homes, um, oh, I think it's Andrew Root wrote, wrote a book of children, on children of divorce, and, and he made the point that the church has this unique community where we, we can be completely honest. I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. We all fall on our knees and say we're poor, miserable sinners. I mean, we say, we, uh, mm -hmm. announce to the world I'm a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, just openly. And I, you know, and I can't do it myself. I can't save myself. I can't believe on my own, right? I, the, and and this community where we can we can be really honest about that uh, mm -hmm. and and receive this gracious savior who you know he wept and was deeply moved right. in mourning he, he's tired he's you know i um, he he's a real jesus not a, a, a phony uh, uh mm -hmm. you know cardboard jesus who's always smiling or something um, and right. and we need that kind of savior in our lives. And I agree with you about this church community. The more you get to know the stories, Katie Sherman's books are just delightful this way. If you mm -hmm. if you think the church is just all happy, go read her wonderful books, of these, <laughs> you know, uh, novels that will will bring you into the real tragedies and and heartbreaks in the community and the wonderful healing our Lord does through this community. 
We have just about two minutes left, and a few resources have come up in our conversation today. I'd like to give you each a minute to, to talk about those and how they might be helpful to pastors or, or mental health professionals. Pastor, you're connected with Doxology. How is that resource helpful to you and other pastors in in strengthening your skills as in providing counsel? Yeah, so uh, Doxology has both a, a pastor as an executive director and a psychologist as an executive director, and um, so you are receiving kind of counseling help through doxology. Um, you're also getting training in, in competencies as a pastor providing advanced soul care for people. Um, it's been invaluable to me and, and uh, gives great training. I'd really urge anybody that's thinking about it, uh, give me a shout. I'd love to talk to you about it. And, um, uh, anyway, it's, a, it's an outstanding opportunity. And Heidi, you mentioned mental health first aid training. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been through that training as well and found it very helpful. Just uh, just about a minute to share with our listeners what you would learn in that and how that might help uh, lay people, pastors, others as well. Yeah, it's a NAMI resource, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and you can find that online at nami.org or com. I don't know, Google it. Um, but they go through different diagnoses and kind of how to identify primarily someone in a mental health crisis, because the reality is that um, pastors and churches and neighbors in particular, our family members are going to see that mental health crisis first and be on the front lines of being able to identify like, oh, um, I think we need help here and how can we get it? Um, And so there's lots of resources. And the the beauty is it's in your community, and so you get the resources that are also particular to your community. And so those are answers like I can't give, um, but that that person that's local to your community can give. Also, you can be a resource. They learn that you're a pastor and you're invested, or you're a church worker, or you're a community member that goes to this church and they're invested. And so I think that's also beneficial there that you care about others in your community. You care about your neighbor and showing them mercy and love. Our guest today, the Reverend David Fleming, is pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and collegium fellow with Doxology. Pastor Fleming, thanks for being my guest today. It's a delight, Andy. Thanks. Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, licensed clinical social worker, and uh, she's a therapist, a deaconess, and a regular guest here on Faith and Family. Heidi, thanks so much for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. I always love it. Coming up in just a little bit, thy strong word, Pastor Michael Meyer sitting in for Pastor Whedon today and heading to Florida to study with Pastor Curtis Dieterding. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.